Good morning, church. As you can probably tell, I'm not feeling that great this morning. But I'm praying that the Lord will give me strength to uh, press towards him for about 40 to an hour and a half. And so I ask that you will join me in praying for his strength this morning. Oh, what a savior. Wonderful Jesus. For Father, I'm not worthy of even heralding your gospel. For your news is too great that a wretch like me would be the one to herald it. But I pray even this morning, O oh Lord, that by your spirit and by the power of the word, I might preach your truth with clarity, that I might preach it with boldness, and that people might know you greater because of the preaching of your word. I ask, O oh Holy Spirit, that you will raise up in me with all power in my weakness, that your word may go forth and do what it does in the lives of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Church. I would like to begin this morning by asking you a question. I know you've heard me say that before. But this question, church, might at first seem a bit strange. A question that for us as believers should be a question that does not need to be asked. But I'm going to step out on a limb this morning, church, and ask this question to you. But before I ask you this question, I ask that you might be patient with me and not think that I am leading you astray or that I am uninformed, but I'm asking that you will trust me as I ask you this question and the question simply is, church, why is it that salvation must come by faith in Christ? Why is it, church, that we must believe in him to be made righteous and to have new life? I know it seems strange for me to ask you that, church, but as I studied the text that we will be in this morning, as I worked uh, uh, through it from front to back and back to front, I found myself at that question. And it wasn't because I myself don't have any answers that I could give, but I found myself at this question because I believe that this text, at least for me, makes the answer to that question abundantly clear. 
And so as we jump into the text today, I hope that for all of you, we might see this answer together with abundant clarity. But before we jump into the text for this morning, church, I think it would be helpful for us to to first begin by, by rehashing the sermon that I presented to you last time we were in Philippians, where we dealt with this question of purpose. And we said that, that as those created in the image and likeness of Christ, we all have the same purpose and that our purpose as human beings is to worship God. This is why we were created, as our worship church glorifies him. And to glorify him is to, as Charlie said, to ascribe everything to him that he deserves, as he deserves everything from us, church, that we could possibly give. This is why the psalmist says in Psalm 96, 1 and 9, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. The psalmist is invoking us, church, in doing the best that he can with words to help lead you into worshiping a God who is indescribable and infinitely worthy. A God who is infinitely good, holy, and righteous. Church, this is why he created you and I to be eternal beings. Because it will take us all eternity to truly carry out this very purpose that he has called us to. As it will take us, church, all of eternity to know everything about him that we possibly can. Everything that is worth ascribing glory to. Which means, church... That in order for us to truly worship him as he should be worshipped, we must seek to know everything about him that we can. And so this means, church, that our main job in glory, our main objective will be to know the deepest depths of our holy, most righteous God. That we might, as those created in his likeness and glory, would reflect his holy glory, church. This is why Paul says in in verse 8 of Philippians 3 that he counts everything as lost because of the surpassing worth or because of the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says he counts everything as lost because he knows that there is nothing that he or we can do through the works of our own hands that can get us into his holy presence. 
his presence where he is, that we might truly know him and know of his infinite value. Because there is nothing in and of us, church, that can draw us close enough to him to truly know him enough to worship him. Are you following me? That we might carry out this purpose that he has created us for. Therefore, the, the only way to gain him and to know him is that he might draw you unto himself and unto his holy presence. But in order for him to draw you into his presence that you might know him, he must first deal with your unrighteousness as your unrighteousness, church, has twisted how you have seen him and have come to know him. Therefore, he had to come to you and take away your unrighteousness and give you his righteousness in order that you might have a way to truly know him. So that in knowing him, church, you might ascribe to him all the glory that is owed to him. Church, this means that your salvation was granted to you. Your eyes and ears were open. You were given a new heart and received new life all so that you might know him. Ah. <laughs> uh, and I know, church, that, that for many of you, you, you're not like me. Like, because, like, you know this. But when I got to that part, that, that we are we are given salvation to know him. For some reason, that, that blew me away. I know for you, this isn't some, some new revelation, but I have to be honest, church. Many times when, when I think about salvation, I don't think about salvation as a means of knowing him. I think about what he has rescued me from. I think about all the promises that he, he promises me. I think about even enjoying his presence, a presence that brings me joy, meaning for me, me many times, church, I think about salvation uh, from the standpoint of what I and what I get. But but to think of salvation, church, as a as a means of knowing Him is not just to think about salvation as a st from a standpoint of what you get, but more so from a standpoint, church, of what He now allows you to do. Ah. And church, this is why salvation must come by believing in him and all that he has done for you. Because if you don't believe that he is God, and if you don't believe that he died on, on your behalf, so that you might have access to him to, to carry out your true purpose in knowing him and glorifying him, then there will be no reason for you to be with him in glory. Wow. 
If you don't believe that he came down from glory to bring you into his marvelous glory so that you might know him and ascribe all glory to him, then why would you be there? What would be your purpose? But if by his precious mercy you will come to know of a God who would leave the presence of his holy father where he enjoyed his father and the father enjoyed his son in order to suffer and die so that he might bring you into his holy presence in order that you might spend eternity with him, ascribing glory to him and finding the fullness of joy in him as you learn more about him, worshiping and ascribing glory to him as you are made like him. That person that person would have a reason to be there they would have every reason to not only be there but to do all that they can in order that they might know him greater this is why Paul in his writings church is always talk talking about knowing Christ this is why he says in verse 8 that he was willing to suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that he might gain Christ and be found in him. He said, not having church, a righteousness of his own, of his own hands and own doing that comes from the law. But he says, having righteousness that comes through faith in Christ that comes from believing in him and all he did to bring us to him. And why, church, does Paul say that he has brought us to him? He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may, I may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by means, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Now wait, haven't we already gained Christ? What is this attaining of the resurrection of the dead? Is there something more that, that, that we must gain other than Christ? What more could he gain as he has said that he has already gained everything that he could possibly gain? as he have gained access into his presence and into his kingdom. What is this resurrection from the dead that he is after gaining, that he says he is trying to attain church by any means necessary? What more could he want that he would be willing to suffer and give his life for it? What is it that we gain in resurrection, church? to be made perfect. He says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or that I am already perfect. He says, but I, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made it, has made me his own. Paul knows, church, that though God has started a good work in him, he has not yet been made complete. 
He knows that the requirement for man is that, that it has always been that as the image of God that he would be holy as he is holy. This is why God gives Israel the book of Leviticus, church, so that he would instruct his people in the ways of living holy. As he says in the book, at least six times to be holy, for he says, for I am holy. And Paul knows, church, that this is still the requirement for us, for this is essentially the same thing that Christ in Matthew 5 and 48 says, when he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That, is this, that word perfect is the same word that James uses in James 1, verses 1 through 4, when he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And he says, Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Paul much like James and Jesus is saying that there is a more work that has to be done in you. There is more living that must be carried out before you are made perfect. A testing of trials that would produce in you a steadfastness that would render you holy and perfect and complete. Peter also helps us to understand this as he says in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter lets us know, church, that as his children, as those who have been called and invited into his righteous presence, we are called to a certain way. We're called to a certain conduct. He says he has called us to a conduct that is like his, a conduct church that is perfect, holy, and righteous in all his ways. And Paul is saying to us in verse 12 of Philippians 3, I know that I have not obtained this perfection as the only way I will obtain it is through physical death. When I am released, he says, from the sinful flesh that I may be glorified as Christ is. He says, but though I have not been made perfect, church, I will press on. I will live it out. I will conduct myself as if I am already made perfect, making his perfection my own. Because he has already declared me to be perfect. Are you following me? He declared me to be perfect, church, when he made me his own. Therefore, Paul says he's going to do everything that he can, though he has not been made complete, to be what he has been declared to be. And so he says, church, I press 
to make it my own. But how is it, church, that we press to make it our own? How is it that we press towards perfection? How is it that we press towards maturity and Christ-likeness as those who have been called by him? Paul gives us five things, church. Five things that we all can do to press towards perfection and maturity in Christ, that we might make it our own. Five truths, church, that lead us to living out this life that he has called us to as it leads us to know him and his truth. And I want to help us all today, church, especially our young people, to know how to find his way and find his truth. Because there are many trying to find it by the wrong means. There are many trying to find it through this thing that we call deconstruction as they work hard to deconstruct their faith from from the sinfulness of culture. But the way to finding Christ's way and his truth, church, cannot come by deconstruction, but it can only come, church, by introduction. That is, by pursuing the truths of God and by pursuing and knowing the one who is all truth. That is, by, by being, uh, uh, pursuing Jesus Christ. And so Paul says the first truth that, that leads us to pursue this perfect way is first knowing that our maturity and perfection is not ultimately a work of ours, but a work of Christ. This is what Paul says in verse 13 as he says to his brothers, I do not consider that I made it my own. (laughs) He says, I'm working to make it my own, but I do not consider that I'm actually the one who is, is making me perfect. Paul says, first of all, know that I'm not tripping. He says, know that I just got through giving a whole section of scripture telling you we can't gain his righteousness by our own works. Therefore, know that I'm not telling you in your own works to make yourself perfect. But that doesn't mean that we just carry on in sin, living the way that we have been living. We don't continue conducting as ourselves as one who has not been called. Though it's still his work, church, we still have work to do. And so he is saying, though I know that I can't make my own self perfect, I am going to pursue his perfect likeness to the best of my ability. I am going to do all that I can about learning uh, of him through the, the reading of his word and through seeking his Holy Spirit in prayer that he might grant me the power to understand his word and truly walk in his ways. I'm going to press through all the testing and trials of this world. I'm going to press through all the suffering, seeking him and his strength and my weakness that I might become dependent on him as he produces steadfastness and faithfulness in me. This is why deconstruction, church, is dangerous 
It places too much of your dependence on you finding the right things and doing the right things rather than you seeking the one who is the only right one. The only one who is righteous and true. This is why we have his spirit, church. This is the purpose of the paraclete or the helper. Ephesians 1 and 13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He says, you don't have to work to deconstruct, church. You have to work to press into the Holy Spirit as he is the one who guarantees that you will find the right way, as he guarantees that you will find truth through him. That's what the word of God says. Church, this means that we don't have to worry about pressing towards some pure way apart from tainted culture. We don't have to fight to unclothe the gospel from this Western way only to find that the Eastern way is also flawed. We can truly have assurance in him by pursuing the way of Christ through constantly seeking him over and over every day and every day in his word, asking the Holy Spirit that he might reveal it to us. That is how you get it, church. Listen to what the Lord says to, to, through the prophet Jeremiah to Israel in Jeremiah 29 verses 11 through 14. As I believe that this truth also applies to those in the church that he has called. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will carry upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. The Lord is simply saying, church, seek me and you will find me. Church, this is the same thing that he says to us today. He wants us to not lean onto our own understanding, but he wants us, church, to acknowledge him in all our ways that he will make our path straight. And he promises to make that path straight through the guidance of his Holy Spirit. The one who John tells us in John 16 will guide us into all truth. But not only should we seek him, church, trusting him to perfect us, but Paul also says that we should forget the past and strain to the future. He says in verse 13b, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul gives us, church, this contrast of forgetting and straining 
a contrast that can easily be misunderstood. As throughout the Bible, and even Charlie mentioned this in his prayer, that God is constantly telling us to remember. To remember all the things, church, that he has done for us. All the things that he has brought us through. In fact, in the Old Testament, they would constantly build altars and they would stack up stones of pillars of remembering, uh, of remembrance that they might remember all that the Lord has done. He made covenants, church, throughout history in order that this might be a remembrance of his promises. Even for us in the church today, uh, 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 we, we take the, the Lord's Supper, church, as a, as a remembrance of, of Christ as the Lamb who, whose body was broken and whose blood was spilled on our behalf. And so if we are pursuing God and he is constantly telling us to remember, then why is Paul telling us to forget? I think Luke 9, uh, verses 61 through 62, helps us as, as uh, Luke tells of the parable that Jesus uh, gave as he explained the cost of following him. It says, beginning in verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. Jesus is saying in this parable church that in order to follow him, you must be willing to abandon everything in order to follow him and not look back to it. This parable specifically, church, is speaking of family, but the parable uh, in general speaking of anything that you would be attached to. And he's using family, church, because he knows that family is precious to us. But he is saying, even if your family would cause you to turn back to your old way, you must be willing to cut them off. Think about what this scripture says to those who, are, who has grown up in a Muslim home. Think about what the scripture says to those who have grown up in, in a home that practice Hinduism, church. Think about those who have been in families who, di who didn't come up in homes where their, their family was believers. Jesus is saying, if they cause you by, by any means to turn back from this way from which you have known, you must cut them off. He says, don't Look back. Women who are beaten by their husbands because they now believe. Many have been killed because they, they came to believe and refused to turn back because they knew the value, church, of what they had gained in Christ. He says, forget what lies behind, church. He says, you must also be willing to give up your old ways, your self-righteous, selfish ways that, that, we, that are normal and comfortable for us. 
He says that we must be like Ephesians 4 and 22, as it says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. He is saying you must forget that that old way, that old manner of life that is corrupt through deceitful desires. This is what he is saying, forget. And he is encouraging us, church, to strain towards what lies ahead. What lies ahead, church? What did we say? What lies ahead is perfection, the new self, the new glorified self that we gain in Christ when we are made perfect, the perfect self that is created after the likeness of God. Be holy as I am holy. Be perfect as I am perfect. There must be a straining towards his perfect likeness and forgetting your sinful likeness church. This word straining means to stretch out or to extend. This stretching happens to you, church, not by your hands, but it happens in your mind. A mind that needs to be renewed. We need to be taught about the truths of his righteousness over and over and over and over again. Theologian John Stott says this, church. He says, when Jesus Christ is at once the subject, the object, and the environment of the moral instruction being given, we may have confidence that it is truly Christian for truth in Jesus, for truth is in Jesus. He goes on to say, to learn Christ is to grasp the new creation which he has made possible, and the entirety new life which results from it. It is nothing less than putting off your old humanity like a rotten garment and putting on like clean clothing the new humanity recreated in God's image. And so, church, our straining or being stretched is the spiritual discipline of constantly renewing your mind. This is not something, church, that is ever finished as we are here on earth. But it, might, it must be a constant work that, that we can't let up on because the moment we look back or the moment we let up, we will revert back to our old ways. Therefore, we must constantly, church, be training our mind in his holy scriptures. We must constantly be praying, seeking his spirit that we might put off our old ways and put on the new way. But as Stott says, this only happens when he is the central object, when he is the central aim, when he's the main thing we're after. And so Paul says in verse 14, therefore I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He must be the goal that we are aiming at church and nothing else. 
It can't be us trying to find this perfect way. It must be us trying to know him. For the moment we take our eyes off him, we will seek to make our pursuits, church, about us. This is why salvation only comes through faith, because the pressing and straining must be a pressing and straining that comes from the pursuit of his perfect likeness, as that is what he has called us to. Paul calls it the upward call, church. This is the same language that we see in Hebrews 3 and 1, where he calls it the heavenly calling, both are referring to this, this new identity that you have gained in him, in his kingdom, in his heavenly places. You are now called his sons and daughters to be in his presence as his image bearers, uh, glorifying his image and likeness that you might be seated with him in heavenly places as he is in his kingdom with his likeness. This is why we're running the race, church. For the prize of knowing him that we might be made like him and that we might be seated with him in his kingdom. Are y'all not excited about that? You get to be seated in the heavenly places with our almighty God. And we carry through this world as if that means nothing to us. He says, press. It's a pursuit of press that we might be seated with him in perfect glory, knowing of his marvelous riches as he has stamped you with his name and identity. And not only does Paul press towards this, but he also prays for this. He, this is what he prays for the church. He says in Ephesians 1 and 16 through 20, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. He says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, which are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Paul says to the church, I pray that God might give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation that you might know him. He said that you might have your, your heart enlightened so that you might know what you have been called to. He says, I'm praying for your, your heart and your mind that it might be renewed, that you might know what you truly have gained in him calling you to himself that you might know of his great power, the power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in heavenly places. He says, I pray that you might truly know that so that you might understand where he is taking you. 
He says in Philippians 3 and 15, let those who are mature think in this way. And if anything uh, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. He says, hold true to what you have attained. And so Paul gives us this fifth truth of pursuing perfection. He comes around in full circle as only he can by saying, let those of us who are mature think in this way. Wait, wait. Didn't you just say we're not mature yet? Paul, didn't you just say we're not perfect he said, let those of us who are perfect or mature think in this, of, in this way. In other words, he is saying, let those of you who have been called to this way, who have been called to perfection, who has already been declared that in Christ, walk in this way. Those who know that only Christ can lead us in this way. Those who are forgetting the old way and putting on the new way. Those who have made Christ their prize, striving towards him through the renewing of their minds and the enlightenment of their hearts. Let us have this mind among us that is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, church, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. It says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, he has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that the name Jesus, uh, that at the name Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. He says, have that mind. <laughs> he says, have that mind that would lead you to that type of humility. Paul says, church, let us think in this way so that with his heart, with his spirit, and with his mind, we might be those that live out his way. This is how you do it, church. This is how you pursue his perfection, making his life our own as we press towards him and his perfect ways through his heart, mind, and spirit, through the striving and suffering through trials unto death that we might attain resurrection from the dead. And he says, and if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you also. Only let us hold true, church, to what we have attained. He says, if by any chance you have been called to this way and have been led to some other way, any chance you have been led astray, don't fear and fret because God will lead you back to himself if you have truly been called to him. Because the one who started a good work in you will bring it to completion. He will not let you stray too far, church, but he will draw back to you, uh, draw you back to himself that he might complete you and make you perfect. 
Therefore, church, we don't have to deconstruct to find his true way, but he calls us to hold on to what we have attained, not throw it away. So that we don't unhinge ourselves from the truth of his gospel as we try to unhinge ourselves from the sinfulness of culture in search of something greater than he has already given us, church. Paul ends with this last exhortation as he encourages the Philippian church to model him and others who walked in this way. He says in verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now even and now and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And their glory in, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. As Paul gives this last exhortation, church, he exhorts us to pursue Christ by looking at other godly models. He reminds us of Timothy and Epaphroditus that he has already given us as models. He reminds us of Jesus, who he has given us as a model. And now he even reminds us of himself as he is reminding us the danger of taking our eyes off this way. He says, keep your eyes fixed on this way that you might not pursue the things of this world. He reminds the church of those who were once walking with them and now are not. Paul expresses this to them with great emotion as he says to them, even as I am writing this to you, I write it with great tears. As he is reminded of those who were once walking, who were once proclaiming, who were once casting out demons and then will get to Jesus and he will say, I never knew you. He's burdened with this church as he has watched those who he spent time with giving the gospel to abandon it. Have you seen this church? Do you have loved ones in your family, friends who have abandoned this way in the pursuits of the things of this world? I've watched it constantly, time and time again. Brothers who spent 20 years preaching the gospel and now have said, I don't believe. How? How? Other than that, you never believed. You never had it. Never had the spirit. Never had the circumcision of the heart. And you were never led to spend time in his word pursuing him. 
So many spend time pursuing knowledge. Abstract knowledge that you might be able to eloquently speak different doctrines and all these different things. But to have it all and not to see it attached to the holy righteous one is to have nothing at all, church. It's to do a work of your hands. It's to pursue self-righteousness. Paul says the end is destruction. Their belly is their God. That means their pleasure is their God. The things, the pleasure, the happiness that they get from this world, that's their God. Because that's what their mind is set on. But he says, you, you have been made citizens of heaven. And from it, we await a great Savior who will not have you striving and pressing forever in this sinful, broken body. But the one who will transform your lowly body into a perfect, glorious holy, righteous body that you might dwell in his presence forever where there is fullness of joy and where you will enjoy getting to know the depths of God for the rest of eternity. This is what you have, church. This is what you have attained as he has called you to himself. Let us work our whole lives that we might Pursue it. Amen, church. Let us pray.